another week of Shop Talk Show, y'all. Mm, mm. Oh, yeah. Hello, 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 hello. You're listening to the 13th episode of Shop Talk. This is a one of our very, very favorite style of episodes. As you can tell, it's just me, Dave Rupert, and Chris Goyer. Chris? Hey, folks. Yeah, this is number two. Of our rapid fire <laughs> series of shows in which no drama, no links, no guests, just me and Dave with all kinds of, how did Dave put it earlier? Question on answer action. Oh, yeah. Just questions and answers. I love it. We are going to jump right into it because that's what Rapid Fire is all about. (laughs) As many questions we can answer to catch up a little bit because we love your guys' questions. We want to get through a few more of them than we normally can in an episode. Here is one from Jackson Garrity. Here we go. Hello, Shop Talk. My name is Jackson Garrity. I'm from Portland, Oregon. I'm 15, and I'm a freelance web developer who's super interested in UX design. I've been working on a project recently that uses a separate style sheet for mobile devices. So my question for Shop Talk is, what exactly is everyone's beef with the process of user agent sniffing? And what are the advantages of using CSS3 media queries over it? Is it a viable replacement? Thanks, guys. Okay, so he sounds like uh, Jackson is... He's got a... What he's got like a, a style sheet that he sniffs out and he injects stuff based on the user agent. He'll he'll like say, "Oh, use this style sheet instead," based right. on the user agent. Chris, what's yeah. what's everyone's beef? Okay, <laughs> I, I, I like how he put that. Bit. There are people do have beef over this UA sniffing, kind of kind of in a big way. Uh, part of the problem with UA sniffing is is how is how often it is incorrect. So I think there's isn't there there's like a new Mozilla browser on 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 mobile devices that just says it's WebKit just because it, the, because there's so many user agent sniffing things that if if something isn't WebKit it will uh you know just not serve any style sheet or serve a really broken one. So Mozilla's like that's ridiculous. We're just in order to get around this this kind of huge problem, we're going to just pretend like we're WebKit. But it's not WebKit. So it may behave differently. So there's there's problems there. Uh, and it's just this never-ending battle, right? There, how many new devices are there constantly with slightly different user agent strings? It's like this, it's like this never-ending battle of having to, to update which UAs you're... you're, you're uh, and you just you won't keep up with that. You just won't, you know. And so many browsers are lying about it already. They're going to continue to lie about it. There's new ones that aren't lying, but there's tons of different ones. It's just this like, why do that instead? Why don't you do things like use media queries, which work on all standards uh, devices, and do capability testing? Some in the longs line of what Modernizer does. Do I have that right? What do you think? Yeah, no, I, it's a total arms race. It, basically, it's like once you support you. One, you have to be like, oh, this, what about this one? And then, oh, what about that one? And then, I mean, like, there's new Firefoxes, like, like Firefox, whatever, 10, 11, 12, 15, 19. There's new Androids devices every, like, two weeks. There's Windows phones. There's, like, everything. I mean, you really got to, like, you can't just depend on a user agent. It's kind of the big thing. And it's, it's easy to spoof and... You just can't depend on it, so that's why you probably shouldn't do it. Um, yeah, like you're, Google, you're gonna do it wrong. You're, you're gonna, gonna do it wrong. Browsers out. Uh, like Google does it. Google does it, but they're like the smart. They have the smartest engineers on the whole entire planet. So, like, unless you could be as good at it as Google, and and even then they fail. Uh, did you see that article by Brad Frost um, about? How the Google homepage loads on all the Android browsers? It's something. Yeah, it's worth finding very and, different is the point. <laughs> yeah, very different, and it's all it's all the Android browser. It's all, it's all WebKit. It, it like, but most of them, some of them are Firefox and Opera. But like, even though it's all the same device and it's the same browser, like, or more or less the same right. thing. And the screens, he didn't even pick like tablets and stuff. They were mostly phones, so the screen sizes weren't altogether different. 
Yeah, it, it was just interesting what people like that line in that is user agent sniffing kind of that's where it gets you. So that, that's mm-hmm. a good thing. I I wanted to cite this other story I read about how this uh, saw it on TechCrunch, but this bootstrap startup saves over 100k by dropping IE, and they like dropped Internet Explorer entirely. So basically, they're just sniffing for the IE user agent and like boom, saying your browser sucks and like just mm-hmm. <laughs> straight up, which is something I would probably... And Opera pretends like it's IE sometime via user agent. So yeah, apparently they've dropped Opera 2 then, at least dropped, the older one. Yep. So anyway. they've dropped Opera 2. Uh, but I just find it... I find it interesting. I mean, that would have maybe been something I did like in my youth. Like I would have been just like, I hate this. Boom, you get nothing, you know? Um, but like, why would you ever like drop support for like, quarter of the internet like like <laughs> like ie still is like like all together if you add them all up is like the biggest browser in the world still so like why would you ever write off the world's most pot or the world's like default browser on the world's most yeah, just popular operating system and whatever which is a tired conversation that we shouldn't let this degenerate to okay, but, true, but, true. but do realize that nine and, and especially ten which you know is in is in pretty much its final version, although it's not actually shipping yet, but you can get it pretty easily, is totally awesome <clears throat> and will not be a problem anymore. The yeah. days of us bitching about IE are, are going to come to a close, and we can move on with more important things like talking about design and, 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 and accommodating our users and, and interesting conversations like that. Cool. Jackson. Oh, uh, hold on. I want to tell you that oh. you know, just all, if all you're doing is serving a mobile style sheet, do it with media queries. Or if you can't depend on media queries, maybe just measure the browser window width with JavaScript and set your CSS that way. But don't go down the UA sniffing path. It's a, not yeah. going to accommodate you. Yep. Okay. Boom. Next. The next one's from Peter Bakenthein, Bakenthein, and he's asking, what are the five most useful CSS tricks you use on various websites? In other words, what five CSS tricks can you not live without? Thanks for your question, Peter. I do want to say that is a tricky question. That, that this is, We're getting to this lady sent this a number of weeks ago, uh, if not months ago. And yeah, usually we might pass on a question like this just because it's just like a when you what you know it's like at a conference they're like what are the ten most important you know it's you're kind of I don't know we prefer questions that are a little more specific to a thing rather than give me the five most yeah whatever Peter but we did think about it I don't want to I don't want to say we don't love your question because we do I'm just saying in the future more specific questions are awesome for shop talk show Dave do yours first okay so it's better than mine I got I got five um so the first one is my very own Uncle Dave squeezing crap which <laughs> is a way to kind of maintain image hierarchy in uh, a when you're resizing a responsive design like if you have a really wide image it looks really st- small, short, and stubby on a phone when everything's kind of the same size. Uh, so I like messing with that. Uh, use a, I recently I've been using a, this is number two, use a zero height aspect padded div, just like kind of like fit vids or something like that. So you, it's height zero padding bottom, whatever, like 56%. And then you use a which back. Is then based on the width. Because yeah. Even though it's a padding top, which you'd normally think would be based on height. It's not, it's based on width. Yeah, so the padding is based on the width, which is pretty sweet. So then you have this aspect ratio box, and then you drop in a background image, like a background size, or mm-hmm. background image, my cat, and then a background size cover, which means it'll just fill up that whole div. Uh, it's pretty awesome. I really like that it. That is pretty cool. Does background size then, like, what if you do background position, center, center, will that affect how cover works. If you, you declare top left and use background size cover and it, and it behaves a little differently. Uh, than if you were to center it background size cover will, I think override, override uh, background okay. position. So, but you have to declare background position before background size, um, or else it'll, it'll blow up on you. So, Boom. um, 
but yeah, so uh, yeah, and it, I found that to be really awesome. Just just because you kind of, sometimes you want images to be taller, you know. Uh, and then I'm calling that Uncle Dave's old padded grid <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Dave's old padded box. Uh, next one, uh, I would like to use nth of type a lot uh, for everything lists uh, anything. Anything ever. So I use that the type a lot. Uh, before and after pseudo elements are rad. And then, uh, Chris, I'm going to steal one of yours. I know you like icon fonts. So I, I love yeah. I love icon fonts. There you go. Nice. I like nth of type in there because a lot of times I use nth. I think everybody reaches for nth child just for whatever reason that gets more press or something. And oftentimes uh, an nth of type is a better fit. A lot of times you're like, I want to select the second paragraph on the page. Well, that's great. You usually have in mind exactly which paragraph you want to grab. And then should later it change and you know you put like an H1 tag above them or something, all of a sudden you're not selecting the second paragraph anymore just because there's this new element that's above it it's like nth of child paragraph you know p nth child two you think god that's going to grab the second paragraph every time but it's not it's going to it's going to select the second element and then if it happens to be a paragraph then it will select it you know what i mean whereas nth of type p nth of type two is always going to grab that second paragraph so it's usually more what people have in mind so i i encourage the the use of nth of type generally yep I love it. Uh, my five, one started with image replacement, and it's just the classic because there's just like no website I've ever done in my life practically that doesn't use the, you know, which is like text align negative 9999 and then, and then setting a width and height and a background image. So, you you know, you have this box that used to be an H1, but now it's your logo. Uh, there's some new uh, revelations in that that we could talk about. There was one that's like just set font size to zero, to zero, zero. That way, it, uh, which is none standard that the validator will choke on it but who cares about the validator right it shrinks text down to the point of being invisible and that way you're not dealing with uh, the problem with text in that negative 9999 is that it only works when text align is left and as soon as you happen to uh, align some text the other way it stops working and uh, there's some other ways we could talk forever about that, but I'm just saying image replacement is one is a CSS trick that I use on pretty much every website I've ever done. Uh, like Dave said, icon fonts are so cool. There is a link on uh, CSS tricks that I did a couple days ago uh, on uh, a roundup of all the different icon fonts out there. There's so many of them. It's really kind of a cool way to add icons to your site because uh, unlike you know uh, images just like literally JPEGs or pings or whatever. Uh, icon fonts can scale. You can just arbitrarily set their color because they're text, so you can just use literally the color property. Uh, you, you know, they're alpha transparent. They, you, know, you can set shadows on them and stuff like that. Really kind of ideal. And it's basically an alternative for spriting. Spriting is, is, my, is another one of my fixes here because it's, it's just a fabulous trick that's all about improving performance, uh, basically icon fonts are a form of spriting. It's just instead of loading 50 icons, you know, they're just all in one HTTP request for that font file. Uh, box sizing is a big one for me recently. I really like the idea of setting uh, box sizing border box with the star selector on literally everything on the entire site so that you can uh, use percentage widths on everything and then use pixel paddings and margin, mm-hmm. or mostly padding, uh, and not worry about you know, like if you set a, a, something to a width of 100% with padding of 20 pixels, really it's 100% plus 40 pixels wide under the normal box sizing model, and that just sucks. I prefer that when I set 100% on a width, I want it to take up 100% of its parent container, and that's it. Don't grow beyond that. It's kind of uh, like I know having was, like a con- inner container or whatever, container-inner. Yeah. Cool. It gives you, yeah, instead of having to put a put a... Div class inside. <laughs> it fixes that. And of course, the clear fix I consider a CSS trick where you use kind of a pseudo element to append a fake little element that, that clears, clears floats uh, so boxes don't collapse that contain only floated elements. That is a bona fide trick that I use all the time. So thanks, Peter. Five tricks that my five favorite tricks, Dave's fav- favorite CSS tricks, uh, in a nutshell. Let's do one by Arthur K, 
who asked, what's a good solution for HTML5 video streaming? Which I thought I would define quickly as like HTML5 video streaming is different than just like using the video tag and linking up an HTML5 file. It's all about, you know, like if you're listening to a Steve Jobs talk or whatever that's happening live, so you can kind of link to a source of some kind which just pipes video over as it's happening. So there's things like buffer control and midstream quality adjustments uh, and, and, and piping it across with some kind of security. So maybe only people that are authenticated could view this video. So streaming is different than just video as a whole. So do you, Dave, do you know a little bit about this? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, you can do, like there are streamers, like let's say, uh, Ustream or Justin TV that do that, but they all yeah. do that through Flash typically. Um, when you're watching like the the Apple Keynote, that's usually streaming through a QuickTime streaming protocol. Mm-hmm. I think it's called RTMP or something. Uh, Which they don't care because this does work on Safari and iOS, right? Exactly. Or there's some kind of yeah. support. Streaming? Yeah. So and Apple's works. like, well, those are the things that we make, so that's what we're going to use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, so it's like a QuickTime plug-in there. Um, it, it's tough, man. There's like, there's, it takes some server hardware and stuff like that. Um, I mean, we do, I was going to say, we do HTML5 audio streaming on the Shop Talk live feed, and it's rad when it works. Like, it'll work on your phone, it'll play in the background on, on your iPhone or whatever. Um, that it's really rad, but I think video streaming isn't really there yet. So, um, so audio is there, but sorry, Arthur, HTML five video streaming isn't quite there. There is a resource, go to longtailvideo.com slash HTML five, where they're kind of tracking the progress of HTML five video streaming. Uh, and, and it's not, it's not looking, not looking great. Yeah. I was going to, uh, I'll, Say a prayer at night for it, the standardization yeah. of MP4. But <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. We answered that one, right? Boom. Next. Okay. Next one's from Avery Wadden. Ro- so I ma- I mangled that. Avery Rodden. Rodden. Sorry. Uh, I'm a 17 year old web developer. I've learned web programming over the past one and a half years with a focus on backend programming. Mostly I work with PHP and databases. However, I'd like to monetize my skills when it comes to front end technology like HTML5, CSS3, jQuery, JavaScript. Uh, when I look at the environment and see things ranging from modernizer to icon fonts to responsive design and new specifications, I'm not really sure where to start and what to work on, especially given the ranges of browser support. How would you recommend I modernize my skill and tool sets as an added plus? How can I do this without spending a bunch of money? Uh I'd say this is the most popular question on shop talk show is that we get, if I had to, if I had to rate the type of questions we get is like, I want to get better how do I do it? What do I focus on? What should I learn next? Very valid questions. Everybody wants to know how to make themselves more valuable. If you're, if you, number one, if you're asking yourself these kind of questions, you're already a step ahead of the game, I think, because it just yes. proves that you care. It proves that you're part of the industry. The the fact that you sent a question to Shop Talk Show means you like are listening to podcasts in our industry and stuff. So you're already. Uh, good to go that way. And the the second thing that I'll say on every t- every single time someone brings this up. I want to answer it the same way. I want to have this is going to be my like my like AM radio thing where I'm just like <laughs> like this is my like dump the MRFR already or you know like everybody all the pundits of of columns and radio shows have this thing where they say over and over I'm going to be mine's going to be, I need a sound bite of some kind. It's going to be like just build websites or something like that. That was terrible but <laughs> I, I want Good the- luck. <laughs> How's it to be like you don't don't worry about like like what is the exact thing you need to buy a book on next? Just build websites. Just I you have this idea for this website or a client or a personal project you want to work on. Work on that, and the things that you need to learn will come from from that naturally. I think. Uh, You know, that's a I don't know. I need a better way to say that so it really does turn into. A soundbite, because I, I mean that, and I, I don't think you should force yourself to to, to learn something. You know, be a, be aware of new technologies, but the the learning of it should come from a natural cause. I'm sure you guys, most of you understand what I'm saying that way. 
What do you got, Dan? No, I totally agree. I think, like, if you're building a website, like, that's – you'll encounter the problems you're, like, supposed to solve. So um, I I, I, like always think about what it would be like if I started um, web development, like, right now, uh, if I was, like, 17, like Avery, without all this baggage and crap, I have, like, this cruft of IE hacks I've, like, acquired over the years, like – Um, and so I, yeah, I don't really know. I, I think your, your best bet, uh, to try and like, well, your best bet in just like modernizing your skills. I mean, your skills should be pretty modern if you're, uh, you've only been learning it for a year and a half and you do PHP, although that's sort of a different realm, but, um, but like, it shouldn't be too hard to pick up these, this new stuff. Um, if you want to learn like. Um, yeah, I guess like, I think, I think you can do that in really easy. Um, there's lots of, lots of online courses you can take. So think about that. So yeah, sure. Yeah. So, and, 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 you know, with, with your idea in mind, I always thought taking a front end course is, is a great, like the best way to learn is to have this idea for this thing that you want to build and then, and then take a course and then always have that thing that you want to build in your mind as you're taking the course. So, so everything that they say is like related. Like, how could I use that? This new thing that I'm learning in my project. Yeah. 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 Cool. And we're going to, we're going to approach this question for every episode. I bet. Cause people, you know, I want to, I want to drill that into people's heads and stuff. What should you learn? Work on your own idea or takes, uh, uh, Dave has some uh, interesting note here about, about, um, you know, being inspired by somebody else's idea. Yeah. To, uh, well, I was just sort of like making notes or whatever. But if you like, I mean, if you want to like modernize your skill set, like find a site that's really rad. Like let's say like Dribble or something like that, and and don't steal Dribble because you'll like embarrass yourself and like <laughs> be shunned from the community forever. But like just on your local host or whatever, like crack open index.html and just try to like reverse engineer Dribble or something like that, and and you're gonna learn. So much without like copying and pasting Dan Cedarholm's code, just like, just be like, dude, how do you make that button? Or how do you make it to like, when you hover over an image, you just see like this weird, you know, like you're going to teach yourself a lot about design and, and stuff. If, if you just try to try to just emulate, you know, that's, I think you learn by doing and yeah. So I would just copy, but not steal. Like don't put it on the public internet. That's pretty douchey. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think if you start from scratch yeah. and you're writing code and trying to emulate it, you're going to end up with something different anyway because there's going to be some of you in there. And that kind of thing, uh, as long as it's not too identical of a copy, can can end up on the, on the public. Yeah. Corner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's only so many CSS3 buttons you can make, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, okay. Hopefully that was useful. That was Avery Rodden. Just build websites. It's, nah. I'm working on it. I'm working on my sound bike. Yeah. Michael Schofield, one of the ways I learn and continue to grow as a web dev is by following blogs and designers like CSS Tricks. Thank you, Michael. Nut Toots, Paul Irish, Smashing Magazine, etc. Ad nauseum. It is like my dad reading newspapers in the morning. Takes forever. I was just enjoying today's 30 Days of jQuery with Jeffrey Way. Jeffrey Way is from Nut Toots. We've had him on the show before. I started wondering, where does he learn this stuff? I know a lot of knowledge is gained through practice, GitHub collaboration, experimenting, etc. Like we just were talking about building other people's stuff. I bet a lot of us on Shop Talk, uh, are, a lot of us Shop Talk listeners, would like to hear about the blogs, books, designers, etc. That you guys follow, uh, Michael. We do the same thing you do, man. I read me some Nut Toots and some Paul Irish and some Smashing Magazine. Yeah. Uh, we could probably post. You know, like I, I'll read more than that. Uh, let's see. What is what is? Uh, I'm just going to read Dave's notes here. Sorry, Dave says he has 176 dis- uh, subscriptions in Google Reader. I do, right? I do, but most of them I have probably are, they're not they're not all yeah. they're not all like web design feeds. They're like no. friends and photography and stuff like that. Um, sure, but they're just good writers. But yeah. yeah. Um, other ones that you didn't mention, I mean, a list apart is like a standard, um, 
like sure. uh, Think Vitamin is really good, and they'll have the occasional link to like one of their uh, Treehouse videos, which is pretty rad. Um, or they'll give one away for free. WebKit Bits, which is a blog maintained by David Kanita. Uh, it's really rad. It's like cutting edge stuff. Um, the Vigit Labs or Vigit Development blog is pretty good. And Web Designer Wall is pretty good. Um, yeah. So some of those, yeah. I, I got a little beef of some of those. They're not really attributing well. Uh, like they're <laughs> kind of rehashing somebody's idea sort of anyway, blah 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 Drama. that's a good topic we could save yeah uh that's fun maybe we should do like a whole like part of an episode one time then it's just about our favorite resources or whatever but i agree with the, if you're only i'm sure michael's is reading those too i mean maybe not maybe he got a, a few tidbits out of there but uh, maybe someday we'll just we'll be like here's our 20 favorite each or something like that but yeah i like uh uh, Impressive Webs by, by Lewis Lazarus has been really super good lately. There's this one called like Code Drops or something like that recently that like every article they post has like, and here's a little demo and there's like eight variations of that demo that are all like super cutting edge, cool CSS3 and JavaScript stuff. And just that's a, that's a, that's a good one. Code Drops, Impressive Webs. Let me pick one other one. Crack open Google Reader here. Uh, it might you know it's probably a good idea to to follow some browser blogs like the like the uh, the Mozilla Web Dev blog or whatever they like post stuff that's usually um you know ab- about Firefox but you know they're they're leading that type of thing too following the, the HTML5 Weekly is a newsletter thing you sign up for it's yeah I get awesome. that one HTML5 Rocks or is that the Paul Irish one or yeah, I forget which one that is specifically. Anyway, there's so much stuff. Just follow. we know, I don't have any secrets in other words, Michael. I think uh we just, you know, and Twitter and stuff. Just, you know, just follow follow people that you like and uh eventually you'll get like like you have. We have this kind of morning newspaper of of, of stuff that we read. So you're you're already doing it right, man. There's no secrets. You're doing uh, good. Um We have another <laughs> Michael. I did them all. Fire. <laughs> okay. Uh, Michael McGuire from Vancouver, Washington asks, uh, I tend to use margins and positioning interchangeably in my design, depending on whichever feels better for a particular element, which leads to inconsistent design, which in turn bugs me. I'm starting to think that it's best practice or that the best practice would be to have the wrapper be relative the sections be absolute positioned and the elements inside the sections be relatively mm. positioned with margins. Okay. Um, if hopefully that made sense to everyone, uh, how do you gentlemen feel about position based layout in general? What are your preferences in using margins versus positions and what or and do you have guidelines when you're choosing positions? I can understand this being confusing a bit. I had I did a, re, a, a screencast recently on the different position values. So if you have no idea what CSS positioning, what the different ones are, and when and why and how and what happens when you use those different ones, you could check that out. I guess I'll link that up. Uh, but he's saying he, the first part of this is he uses margins and paddings interchangeably. Uh, that you know it makes sense because it kind of pushes things away. They are rather similar you know there's margin top and padding top and they both kind of add space above whatever is in that container they are different of course um if you're working in like a white on white and you know like you just crack open a document and you and you have no css applied to it at all and you write a paragraph element and you give margin top to that paragraph it's going to behave pretty much the same way as if you added padding top to that thing. Uh, but it's different in that it affects the box model differently. If that padding, if that paragraph element had a red background and you added margin top, above that paragraph is going to be white because you're pushing it away like the, the box isn't getting any bigger. You're just pushing that box away from the box above it. Whereas padding, it would be red above that paragraph because you're extending the size of the box of the paragraph. So as soon as you have different backgrounds on things, you'll stop. You'll you'll start understanding better, or stop 
you know, using those two things interchangeably because they are they are different. One affects like the internal box model and 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 margin. Well, is still part of the box model, kind of pushes away the content in in kind of a, a different way. And then he's talking about. I've started to think that the best practice is to have the wrapper be relative and the sections be absolutely positioned. That's just too broad and generic without talking about a specific layout. I, I would never tell you that having a relative wrapper and absolutely positioned sections in it is absolutely the best layout technique in every situation. In fact, it seems a little weird and and less common to me than not. You know, absolutely positioned stuff is awesome. I think Dave agrees with me there. According yeah, to totally. Totally. It's, it's, it's kind of underused, possibly. Absolutely positioning things within relative position context is very powerful and cool and useful and possibly underused. But absolute positioning an entire section of content is, is probably not super common. Because uh, I just think of a section as like having articles in it and text and stuff that can grow and needs to push the page around and kind of be a part of the page flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but That's- anyway... Yeah, that's kind of where I like. I, I use margins when I want like space in between two elements, like like a margin. You know, I would I, I use position when I want to be like aggressive and really like fix something on some coordinates. You know, um, mm-hmm. which when when you're using, I, I do a lot of responsive design. That's no secret. But it, like when you do that, you you can't really. You can't guarantee verticality, so I wouldn't really use vertical, you know, any absolute positioning for vertical stuff. Maybe left and right, um, but you, yeah. So I, I tend to use margin in most cases, uh, in margins and floats, and then uh, I, are ne- almost never use margin top. I'll always use padding if if like your difference between padding and margins are, is getting weird but i hardly ever use margin top i'll always margin down uh, as i go through mm. my document and then um yeah margin and, and positional well behavior. if you mix those up know that two blocks on top of each other if one has 50 pixels of margin bottom and the other one has 50 pixels of margin top do you as a quick test how much space is in between those two blocks and the answer is 50 pixels because t- margins that hit each other, that touch each other like that, top and bottom, they collapse. Yeah. So it'll just squish down to the to the tallest one of those two margins. So that can be a little confusing. You know, there's mm-hmm. reasons for why it does that, but that 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 can be rather confusing. Whereas paddings never collapse. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. It- yeah, it's. I, I mean, you just got to be careful what um, you do. But uh, w- like in terms of absolute position, I usually just do that in like a, a fixed element. Like let's say, or like a widget. Let's say like a rotator image rotator. I want text at the bottom. I'll absolute position that text. So I don't really use abs like positioning for layout that much. So because it gets it's pretty aggressive. I just think of it as really aggressive. It's almost like the yeah. important of sure. layout. We're, we're trying our best here, but it's very. It's pretty hard to talk super generically about the best positioning techniques. You know, it's so much easier to talk about when we have a layout in front of us and we can point at things. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Well, cool. Casey Olson. We got a. We got a. Uh, got another yes, Colin. Uh, boom. Compass Casey Olson. What do you oh, got for us? Here we go. Compass and SAS help us write better CSS more easily. The Lemonade update added powerful spriting abilities that stressed Compass out of a simple SAS to CSS converter with a lot of really useful mix-ins into something much more powerful. I'm starting to think there's a similar need for HTML. Here are some examples. Reset style sheets start with a large list of obscure elements, but if I don't have a definition list or summary in my markup, resetting it is wasteful. I would find a tool that scans my HTML and resets only the elements I use very useful. Of course, if I added a block quote and then compiled, it would be in the new outputted reset. Another example would be code highlighting and, sorry Dave, lettering JS. What if instead on the client's computer or phone, it spans around each letter in related CSS, 
were added on the development machine, or maybe server-side. I think a tool like this would, be, would help designers and developers use best practices that at the moment are far too tedious to be considered best practices. Do you think this is a good idea? Could it fit into Compass? Should I learn Ruby? Okay. Um, so much stuff there. What do you got? Well, so uh, so he has like two parts, just like server server side like code generation, and then that that was the second one, like lettering, and then the first one was like a ht or like a CSS reset sniffer. Um, yeah, like not using the stuff that you don't need, and that's relevant to JavaScript as well. I think I've heard some pretty cool stuff that Chrome is doing that's like can. It can it can see what JavaScript will run and not run. So if you have this function in your JavaScript that just is never called, that just won't even serve it, mm. which is kind of amazing. Uh, but it's the same kind of thing. He's saying like if you reset a block quote, but there's no block quotes in your HTML, uh, why have you know block quote margin zero padding zero or whatever in there? It's like extra stuff that you'll never need. Yeah, so I think this idea would be awesome, like a, a sniffer resetter, but um, that only works if you have like a static system. Like if you have user-generated content in a CSS, like right. it, it's like you would have to then recompile your CSS every time. Remember somebody- that CSS isn't just one page. E- even in this user-generated content, your CSS file, probably especially your global one, affects every single page on your entire site. So the sniffer would need to go through every page on the entire that it touches, which is almost impossible to know. Mm-hmm. So like you which gotta, is weird. I think it, the Boy Scout motto, always be prepared, is probably the best thing here. Um, like, <laughs> like if you have a block quote style, like a base block quote style, uh, it's you're talking like, I don't know, 30 bytes of, of right, you know, no, we're CSS. talking about micro optimization here, which is just not the best use of your time. There's, uh, uh, I really like this. Isn't quite the time and place for it, but there's like that we could th- list five things. You know, we could say minification of JavaScript, CSS, and in concatenation. We could say spriting. We could say uh, setting your proper HT access header. There's there's five things that you can do that will each of them are, will be a hundred times more important than worrying about a block quote style that's that's mm-hmm. unused in your CSS. There's things that are just many orders of magnitude more important than that. And I was saying that's not important to think about. It's kind of a, a clever idea that you brought up, but it's just it's just micro-optimization should be at the bottom of the list of those of those things. Is that fair? Totally agree. Um, and then, so his second part is is the server-side, like, server-side version of lettering. There actually is one um, called Rack Lettering, which is for Ruby. It's, like, basically you can trigger lettering on the server side so the client doesn't have cool. to do that. Um, it's cool, but, I mean, I... I think I like the idea of lettering being client. I, I mean, I made it, so whatever. <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> it's cool. But disclaimer. Disclaimer. I'm a little. Oh, disclaimer. Let's do close enough. Uh, disclaimer. I'm a little involved in it. No. Um, the but I think like I think uh, I, I just it's client side. So I feel like you should have the ability to inject it or strip it out, you know? Um, so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, and I would never call lettering a best practice. Lettering is just a step on the way to nth everything, please. So, uh, but yeah, I think like there's a lot of stuff you, you could do stuff on this. I see. That sounds fair to me. It, I can see both sides of this because on one hand, the way that lettering works now is that those spans aren't there when the page loads and the CSS might load and it start might affecting that letter before the JavaScript does. And then all of a sudden lettering kicks in and it puts the spans around those letters and new CSS takes place, right? So mm-hmm. there's some ways to fight against flash of not awesome text, right? So there's, there, I'm sure that you dealt with that in the past, yeah. but still it, it, there is this little jump. And, and if you insert the spans on the server side, it will be a little faster. You won't have to deal with those problems. Uh, and you could build it into a CMS. You know, you could build it in Ruby and, and, and output it or whatever. I can see the argument there. And I also can see the argument of 
at some point we're going to have nth letter. It's kind of imminent at this point and keep in and then that's just it's going to work the same way only it's going to be built into CSS so there also won't be this flash event. So keeping it on the client so you can just strip it out it's easier to strip out something like lettering js than it is to strip out like uh, some uh, a server side component i guess. Yeah. And my goal with lettering i mean <laughs> This isn't like the lettering podcast or anything, but um, like my yeah. goal for lettering was just like for you to have maintainable markup, um, which something like a middleware like rack lettering would would give you that. But um, I I don't, uh, but I don't think you want like a, a boom. You don't want your markup that you're working on to be just filled with spans and crap. That was my main reason for not yeah just hard coding spans. So. That's a that's a weird gray area, you know, because someone would say, well, I don't know, you know, like <laughs> it's weird. The spans are getting in there one way or another. So that's true. That's true. So uh, anyway, <clears throat> not, not a bad idea. I I think you can do it, but um, I don't know if it. Yeah. yeah we'll and see. be aware, Casey, that there are preprocessors for He's kind of saying like the, I'm aware of CSS preprocessors, but does HTML need to preprocess? There are a variety of C, of HTML preprocessors already. They don't do what you were talking about per se uh, and all the sniffing type of stuff, but there are ones that make writing HTML a bit easier. I haven't dabbled. Uh, I, I have used – I've used a number of them, but I, I often find they're less useful than the mm-hmm. CSS ones. But there are things like Hamel, uh, Slim – and Jade uh, are the three big ones that I'm aware of. Anyway, so just cool. know that they exist. Uh, we have two inter intercombined questions about, um, unfortunately, one of my least favorite topics. But but we'll get through it because it, it is an, an important topic despite it being my least favorite. Uh, Mark, we're, we have a – I think now neither of these are audio, so we kind of have to explain both of them. Uh, I'll, I'll try to do it as quick as I can. Mark Lurs says – I was reading the box sizing post and I've seen a little conversation going about IE7 dying faster than IE6. I would have uh, I would have to say that this is pretty accurate. I work for a servicing agency that does all Ford and Lincoln digital and uh, traditional over the last few years, and we've been fighting to support IE6. The big issue was that Ford, their corporate office, was still on IE6 for a very long time. So just for that reason, just because these people that worked at Ford uh, uh, had to had IE6 on their computer, that they had to support IE6. So once they decided to jump away, these people that worked at Ford from IE6 to IE8 – and trust me, they were slow when they did that, apparently, he says here. <laughs> uh, uh, I had a conversation with the, one of their IT guys about why they did it, and they said IE8 would provide the longest uh, uh, support. So he's like, these IT guys were saying that we could have jumped to IE7, but he's saying we want we want to be stuck. <laughs> we, we don't want to do this again, so we're going to move to yeah. IE8, which just sucks. Like, really, if that's your reason, you should have at least moved to 9. Anyway, and, and and so he's moving. They're moving to Windows Seven with IE eight and 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 whatever. And because of that, now that now literally on the Ford and stuff websites, they can uh, up their minimum minimum support, whatever. Okay, so he says I have a friend that works at an agency that supports GM Chevy, and they basically did the same thing, and now have to support only IEA. And he's just saying from his experience, especially in this corporate world, that that people are jumping past IE seven, and that IE seven is going to die faster than IE6. And then I have another question by Dave Kelly. More succinct, he just says, IE7, the W3C school guys say only 3% use it. Should we still focus on making our sites compatible in this browser? Uh, uh, What's the deal? Is IE7 going to die faster than IE6? I I would say, yes, it will. Um, uh, But but it's an interesting deal. So uh, Paul Irish blogged about how, like... uh, there's like this enterprise level of Microsoft, which is what um, Mark was talking about um, and how I think Microsoft guarantees a 10 year life lifespan of all software, whether the, you know, their whole software suite uh, for enterprise corporations, including IEs. So we'll be supporting like IE seven and eight. IE six, I think has been sunsetted for the most part, but um, I will be supporting IE seven and eight for a while now. Um, uh, yeah, I, I eight, I feel like it's going to be around for the longest time since a lot of people are still on XP, which is the best browser you can have on that system. Oh, and then, the yeah. yeah. And then 
just like well, and he was saying I, Windows Seven IE eight, which that's really interesting because Windows Seven should support IE nine by default. Um, but I guess they're downgrading it to eight. I wonder if you go buy it. I wonder if somebody could write in. I wonder if you go buy it from the store today. Literally, just like walk into a Circuit City, or those don't even exist anymore, do they? Some kind of <laughs> store that sells internet stuff. And you walk out with a copy of Windows in your hand on a DVD or whatever. I don't know if you can even do that anymore. But does it come with eight or nine? I think it'll come with nine. I maybe I'll do that. I'll I'll take this up. <laughs> Use our shop talk show gold gold yeah, diamond America. Our pot of gold. <laughs> <laughs> we can- accept golden coins <laughs> at Circuit City. Um, I'll travel back in time and go buy one. Um, yeah, I so I think yeah we'll be supporting it for a while. Uh, Interesting, Dave Kelly. I so, but I think what okay. they say this is going to come out soon. Is that is that you know how Safari updates? It updates through software update on on OS X. So I have one literally on my screen right now. Let, let me hit uh, show details. I have to update Java for OS X, which is like okay, go ahead, dude. But that's how your Safari updates come down too. If there's a new version of Safari, it's built into the software update tool of OS X. Uh, all the rest of the browsers have their own update mechanism. This is how theoretically it's going to work for uh, IE. It hasn't in the past, but they're going to put it in that their little Microsoft Update Tuesdays or whatever the heck they are. Uh, that's how IE not- updates are going to come, and you have to opt out of that. I think it's going to be by default opt in. So it's even IE eight will be shorter too. I mean, we talked about IE six forever. I hope that both IE seven and IE eight combined. I hope we'll talk about for less time. Yeah. Um, well, in in like the 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 new IEs, uh IE9 and and then what I've like seen on whatever the verge of I10, it, it, like it's it's going to be really good. I mean, I think the case for moving forward is going to be better, like way good. So, um yeah, I can't wait. I really am excited about IE10. I have been updating the woofoo.com slash html5, which is almost done. It's not, I wish I could tell you it's out, but it's just a really lot of research I did on html5 forms, uh, and it hasn't been updated in a little while. Like, I, I don't even know how long. It hasn't been a year, but it's been long enough. And there's been a lot happening in browsers, and I'm going through, and I'm marking a lot of stuff green. There's not not as much as I would like. There's still some, some weird stuff, but IE10 across the board just supports everything. It's yeah. just HTML5 form stuff, is it? And it's not even just form stuff. It's like it supports. I'm. I, it might be, and I wonder if I wonder if other browsers are 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 stepping it up and making sure this isn't the case. But at, at some point, it's it was seeming like when IE10 comes out, it's going to be better, literally like better than Chrome, as far as like like running down the checklist of what what HTML5, CSS3 stuff it supports. It was mm-hmm. going to be better than anything, all in yeah. Opera, Chrome. Firefox, whatever it's gonna, it's gonna take the lead, which is crazy. How how do you feel about that? IE seven has less than three percent, so we shouldn't use it. Or do you, I mean, like the, I, that stat is global. First of all, it's from W three schools, which is automatically irrelevant. Second of all, ah! the only stat that matters are the sites on your on your own on your own site. So Website. only base things based on that. Uh, also, you've linked up Stat Counter here, which is better. Use that. And uh, God, what else was I going to say about well, that? Does is yeah. I was just going to say like i sevens browser share is like greater than Safari for iPad, and it's about the same as Safari. So like using your logic based on like percentage of supports, like would you sure. drop support for the iPad like just because? Like no, but that's that's growing and this is shrinking. So fair enough. Fair wise. enough. Yeah, yeah, I guess trend wise, but I, it's just I, I just for me uh, it's just like you, yeah, yeah. In most clients I've I had, I hate cracking that out for mobile to literally less. It's like point oh four percent of CSS tricks tricks traffic is mobile. Okay. Does that mean I should not yeah. have a mobile website? And I'm like, uh, no, because I like making mobile websites. And that that number is it's weird on CSS tricks because it's a reference and you're not writing code on your phone usually, so you don't need to Google CSS tricks. And I'm sure that's why the thing is there though. But it, I don't know. It's just a it's just a weird situation. Literally, some some websites isn't it like Facebook is like higher than fifty percent of all their traffic is mobile. That's f- crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's insane. Girl. So yeah, I, I mean, 
I, in my experience, it hasn't been too hard to support these IEs. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, unless you're doing something really radical, um, yeah. Good. Good. Good luck. Uh, so, about the other day, where I have a good chunk, we're definitely still supporting i7. There's a, it's, yeah. there's a big chunk. Like I've seen a lot of companies, they still have i7 kind of greened out in their little support matrix. So uh, we're gonna try it. and get through four more here, people. Let's go uh, fast. <laughs> I think our plan was we kind of both me and Dave made little notes in here. So I was like, if we make notes, it'll be faster. And I think it's actually making us slower because we're like, I have lots to say about. <laughs> I wrote a, uh, I wrote a diary on it. Uh, uh, <laughs> All right. Next, Ash, Ash Robbins is asking about jQuery. Is there a reason why so many sites and tutorials always use the Google CDN version of jQuery just in, instead of re- referencing the latest version from the jQuery.com uh, Example, Ajax APIs, jQuery 1.7.1, jQuery JS. You guys have seen it. You guys are all web developers. Surely with uh, the above, you'll have to constantly make sure your version of jQuery is up to date as opposed to below uh, code.jquery.com slash jQuery latest at JS. Um, so the, Ash is asking, should, shouldn't you just use the latest one to always have the latest? Chris, you know there's this. Different, there's different parts to this story. One is, why do we do this at all? Why do we link to not a local copy, but we link to the Google copy? Well, one reason is Google servers are wicked fast. We've been doing this for years and years, linking to their copy of jQuery, and it's like never failed us. Uh, you can write a fallback if you want, but I usually hardly even do that anymore because it's just it's always up and it's always super fast. And if you visit, uh, like CSS Tricks uses this, if if then you go to another site which uses this, it, it because it's the same URL, it will be cached. Uh, so then it doesn't have to download anything at all, which makes your site all the faster for doing it. So that's one of the reasons, CDN meaning a content delivery network. It's specifically like there might be a server in my backyard where I'm getting this from because that's what CDNs are all about is having like local copies of this stuff. Anyway, so so the, the, you've seen the URL URLs before, like when it links to Google to, to grab jQuery. And part of that URL is something like 1.7.1, which references the exact version of jQuery that you're trying to link to. If you want to benefit from the caching, which is a big part of this, you have to link to a, a dot point dot of that. Uh, like 1.7.1 is the only one that has the proper caching headers for this, uh, which is like a year or something like that, because that's not going to change. If you link to just 1.7 or just slash 1, which will give you the latest version of jQuery, you will get the latest version of jQuery, but it won't be cached as well, so you don't get any of those benefits, which is too bad. Uh, the other part of this question is why, why link to it from Google when jQuery.com offers the same thing? Uh, you you can. It, I you, think it it might just DNS redirect it. They have a CDN now too. They're not discouraging you from doing that like they used to. You can link to it from jQuery.com. That is okay. Uh, it's just it's less popular, so you get less of the caching thing again. And the second part of this is all about uh, uh breaking stuff. So Dave has some info on that. Yeah. Well, so I've used jQuery one, like slash one slash jQuery JS um in the past. Uh. But I was told by jQuery team members, don't do that uh, because we might stop using the dollar sign. Like, and I was just like, gasp. <laughs> I had like You're a moment. You're kind of kidding. I doubt they would drop the dollar sign, but that's the kind of changes they have the right to make. Right. So like that, that would like, I don't think they'll make that change now. Um or at least in like slash one, um, because that change would be catastrophic for the whole entire internet. Like the internet would fall over. Um, but just be aware, like beware, like big changes like that could happen because it's their code. It's their thing. Uh, yeah. And, and like if a jQuery team members like saying, don't do that, don't do that. Bada bing, bada boom. It's just too dangerous. <laughs> if you link to 1.7.1, that will never change. So if your code works with it, you'd never have to worry about it. It will just work forever. 
uh, but if you link like, to the latest, that will change. And there's some advantages to that because a lot of times jQuery will change and it will be faster. It will like be better in some way. They almost all all their updates make some kind of something faster. So you get those advantages, but you also get that potential that it can break. And believe me, it does. Uh, once in a while, if I go back through CSS tricks in every single demo and just go to like an old demo from two years ago, and I just go and I and I've been doing the, using the Google CDN for jQuery for so long, I just be like, oh, this is linked to one point four point three or whatever. I'll just I'll just change it to one point seven point two now or whatever, and and then load that demo again. Once in a while, it'll just not work. Be like, dang it! Usually, it's related to plugins, which have deeper kind of dependencies and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you go grab the latest version of that plugin, and it has updated itself and starts working or whatever. Uh, But you know, it happens. So if you're, especially if you're loading an application that people like, like literally users use, (laughs) don't link to the latest. Link to a steady version. Totes. Dimitri Felchual. I keep I, forgetting. I should I should do more pause. See that then you do the gunshot, and then I say the name, and there's like a better distinct. Oh, it's fine. I think you just ignore it, and you, it's just like we're out hunting, and I'm just oh, I'm so just I've shooting the fifth wall. Yeah, you broke the, you broke the fourth wall, Chris. <laughs> I really screwed that up. Looking well, right at you, audience. We we should we should probably like go to improv classes and really step up our game. This yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a note. We're gonna use our pot of gold on improv classes. Cool. I went to a bar camp once that had a really good in, improv intro to it. It was awesome. I'm think- going to Minneapolis this weekend for their bar camp, in which like two thousand people come to or some crazy thing like that. It's Whoa, enormous. Danger. Fun. If there's an improv class, I'll go and then I'll and then I'll reteach it to you over Skype. I know that you're supposed to do yes and, so you'd be like, yes, I, I drive a dump truck. And then you go, yes, and you wear purple trousers. And I go, yes, and I have a gun. And he goes, yes, and don't kill me. You know, you have to like build on their story instead of saying, no, but you, you're, you don't really have a gun. You have a flower because that like screws that up the story it. and it doesn't here, flow as well. Here, let's try it real quick. Chris, okay. I, just, I just realized I haven't been recording <laughs> oh damn it! <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was so off track by that because that makes me uh, sad. I'm gonna miss would, my flight. That would be funny. Okay, let's go to Dimitar. <laughs> he said, "Hi guys, great show. My question is: If you want to start a personal blog and write about front end development, what platform will you choose? WordPress or Tumblr? Oh, World WordPress oh, Tumblr oh. Showdown. Let's go. Let's." Let's do this. I can do this. So I love WordPress, uh, and for there are ways around it, but the Tumblr editor, the editor where you type in stuff in Tumblr is pretty small and miserable for like long-form posts about code. In sure. That's IMHO. And so if I were going to start – like, so I'd probably do WordPress because you can do a lot of cool – like. It's just I think it's better suited for like longer posts and stuff like that. Um, if I were going to start a, what's that? Yeah, the editor and just and just even the plugins are easier to get going. Blah blah blah. Um, if I were going to start a blog today, I would probably look at static site generators, but those are that's a different topic entirely. Yada yada yada. Chris? Yeah. Well, when he said Tumblr, I was like, okay, so you're talking about a hosted platform because there is no self-install Tumblr. Right. Uh, so when he said WordPress or Tumblr, I was like, okay, WordPress.com or Tumblr.com. WordPress.com meaning uh, the self-hosted – or not the not self-hosted, the, the hosted version of WordPress. Uh, in that case – uh, if you're comparing those two things, Tumblr actually has better customizability, I think. You can even run your own custom JavaScript on a Tumblr site, which I'm pretty sure you can't on a WordPress.com site. WordPress.com um, has uh, fewer themes, I think, uh, uh, that are nice, but fewer. And if you want to customize it, I think it's now a paid add-on to get access to to edit the CSS for WordPress.com, which I think oh, you can wow. do for free on Tumblr. Not totally sure, though. Anyway, I'm just saying that's those those are comparing the hosted version. But I'm saying because you're writing about front-end web development, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to want to n- not have this be hosted. 
uh, at some point. You're going to want to install WordPress and use WordPress on your own domain so that you can do whatever the heck you want. No more limitations and paying for add-ons and that type of thing. And I, in, in that case, I definitely recommend WordPress and that it will be much easier for you to export what you've already done on WordPress.com and import it into a WordPress.org site. You could probably do that in Tumblr, but I think it'll just be cleaner moving from WordPress to WordPress. Anyway, I like WordPress better, and you should pick WordPress. Ta-da. Okay, boom. I'm going to call that one done. Next one is from Mr. Tim Mays, uh, and I think we have an MP3 here. Hey, guys. I'm curious to know where you get some peer code review. I'm an only child developer at my place of employment I like that. on the East Coast. It gets lonely, and I'm always looking for people to talk shop with. I do spend some time on forums and blogs, but I'm looking for something more engaging, like user groups and conferences. Do you know of any cool hangout spots on the East Coast for awesome, sweet developers? Well, uh, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, yeah, there's tons, I, I think. Uh, like, I'm I'm very Texas Coast, but um, uh, I get all my peer review from friends I've made at meetups and conferences, uh, I would say. Um, the East Coast hangouts that I know of, I wish I knew at City Year, and I could have, like, looked up more, but I know in Boston, you have Boston RB refresh, Boston, New York. You have, I've heard good things about NYC JS. Um, there's also, I think a, a dribble meetup in New York. That's pretty rad. DC has the DC Ruby users group. I've heard good things about, I think in Baltimore has be more on rails. I think both of those cities have pretty rad. Oh, capital JS is in, is in DC. It's pretty rad. Uh, Philly, there's Philomade, which is more like for creatives, but still are the same audience and refresh Philly. Uh, man. Yeah. There's a huge WordPress meetup in DC. I know that's kind of weekly. I think maybe not weekly. I'm not sure. Monthly. Anyway. Yes. See, so those are the type of things he's talking about. Refresh events. He's talking about, I'm talking about, WordPress, just any kind of meetup, I literally use the internet and look for these things because they're out there and there's a lot of them. And then they'll probably be that one will find you more. Like if uh, I know there's a bar camp Philly, I know there's a bar camp uh, New York City. I think the bar camp tour is coming to both of those things, which I'm I'm a part of. Uh, go and then so let's say you you're in New York and let's say you go to a bar camp. You're gonna meet some people that are pretty cool. Even if you don't have the best time of your life at that bar camp, you're gonna hear about other events at that bar camp. Probably you might go to that other event and you might see some of the same people that were at bar camp, and then you'll be like automatically can have like an in to, to talk with them because you're like, oh, dude, I saw you at bar camp too. Whatever. Go to – there are these things, you're, especially in the, in the, in the, on the East Coast where you say you are, dude, there's stuff to go to. You just got to kind of Google around for it and I'm sure you can find something. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think there should be like JavaScript meetups, refreshes and Start all your own. majors. Yeah. Whatever you like to do, just look for it on meetup.com and it works. It works. I know okay. you have the need for it, though. Do you know? Like, no. like you're literally an only child developer. That's great. Uh, don't be that anymore. No, Even if you got to start your own, just do it. And then also, yeah, hang out, find an IRC chat or something you like. That's a good way to like, you know, yeah. it's like whatever your interest is in. Tim, there's a community around that. I think so. Big time. Do that. Last one. John from John Imperio. This is John Imperio. I'm originally a graphic designer, but now I'm mostly into uh, front-end web design and development. In regard to one of last week's question, where Anthony Edinger has 15 years of experience, well, in my case, I don't have that kind of experience. So, for someone like me who started late into web design and development. Um, I definitely have a lot of catching up to do. Uh, for the past two years, I've familiarized myself with PHP through using WordPress. I'm into jQuery and recently started to adapt HTML5 and CSS3. So uh, my question is, what should I be focusing on to keep up with the industry? Thank dun, you. Thank dun, you. Dun, dun, dun. Just build websites! I'm working on my website. That's uh, sorry. That's not the right one. 
This All is right. the same question as earlier. I told you we get a lot of these, right? What do I focus on? Totally legitimate question. He's just he's using a lot of these technologies, dabbling around with them. Which one would benefit his career the most to focus on the most? First, John, get an idea in mind. Bill, try to build that that idea. You know, just 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 let the let the technologies come to you, sir. Mm-hmm. I would say if you're coming from like a graphic uh, design background, I think learning JavaScript could never hurt. Um, and and I mean that in the sen- beyond like jQuery, um, like like or at least have that aha moment, which uh, that's like synergy because it relates to Chris Chris's blog here. But uh, but what like kind of figure out JavaScript, what it's doing, you know, don't, don't just chuck a bunch of plugins at a situation, like figure out what it's Mm -hmm. doing. Um, because then you're going to, if you're, especially if you're a graphic designer, you'll be able to like really craft sweet JavaScript and CSS transitions and animations, um, that, that would be the most awesome for your profession and your, your life and your website. So that's my opinion. I can't, buddy. Knowing yeah, JavaScript always definitely. If definitely if you have some front end skill and you don't know any JavaScript and you're and you're asking us this question, what to focus on next? That's definitely what you need to learn. It's very hard, I think, in today's world to be a front end developer and totally stay away from JavaScript. You might as well bite the bullet and get into it a little bit. What Dave was talking about was a post on CSS Tricks called the JavaScript Aha Moment, which is people sharing their own moment in which they the like the feeling of understanding washed over them with javascript and in some way that happened to me with jquery because jquery is javascript uh which is a so kind of a whole conversation unto itself i know it, it has a different syntax and stuff but what you're writing literally is javascript that is parsed by the browser whereas like coffeescript is not javascript it compiles into javascript anyway uh, yeah, that's definitely where to go next if if you're if you need to to learn JavaScript or whatever. But also just build websites. Take your idea, and you know you know a, one of the sponsors of CSS Tricks called Treehouse, run by it's a bunch of great guys. I'm a fan of it. They're not sponsoring the show at all. It's a, they no. sponsor CSS Tricks. They would be nice if they would actually. Anyway, the, if if you have that idea in mind, you know, part of my just build websites mantra, uh, get that idea in mind, and then maybe go take a course on treehouse and see what up no that's a good good yeah that it's literally if once you're building like you have an idea that you want to build out or a website you're building like you can go down so many rabbit holes like just that are month-long journeys into svg or something like that you know like you, you just just get yourself into some trouble and that's the best way to learn like learn by failing <laughs> that's my advice Learn well by failing boom that brings us to a wrap yep of I this think- week's rapid fire show i hope you enjoyed that folks we got through more questions than we normally do on a thing so we're going to do this once in a while to catch up and hopefully hopefully if you send a question you will hear your name on either a a a a regular show with our guests if it happens to be a good question for that guest or something that is along the lines of their expertise or if it's a more generic question it might end up on one of our rapid fire oh it's failing okay shows any final words dave no, I, I, well, we really appreciate you guys. Follow us on iTunes at Shop Talk Show and uh, vote us up in iTunes. We'd love that. We'd love yeah, that. Uh, go totally. do that. Give us a rating with the star thingy. Go I do love that. that. Anyway, shoptalkshow.com. 